Clearly, I didn't know I was supposed to read this morning. But we're in Matthew 21, verses 31 through 46. Matthew chapter 21, verses 31 through 46. Thirty-three to forty-six. The parable of the of the tenants. Here another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season for fruit drew near. He sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will, represent, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to the tenants? They said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to the other tenants who will give him the fruits of their seasons. Jesus said to them, Have you never read the scriptures? For the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone that was the Lord's doing. And, he, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. And although they were, they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. Good afternoon, Risen Hope. So thankful that the fourth through sixth graders are here uh, to hear God's word. This is an incredible parable for all of us to hear, a very simple parable, but I'm also reminded of our need for the Lord Jesus to meet with us right now. So will you pause and pray with me, please? Father, there, it's often that in the silence, in the stillness, we can feel uncomfortable. There's so much noise that is going on in our worlds, and when we have the opportunity to pause, so many things flood our minds. And in light of that, God, I pray that you will meet with us today. I am a mere man in need of you. Your word is true. 
You are king. You are holy. You are God. And you are good. And for that, we praise your name. And we ask that you meet with us in a special way, even now. Take my time of meditation, my time of study, and use it for your glory. Your people need to hear you. So will you speak in Jesus' name? Amen. So this ought to be interesting. You hear the, the feedback a little bit. My beard, growing the beard out. It's beard season. Any other bearded men here? Any other bearded men? Just want to make sure. Okay, I want to see where everybody's at right now. <laughs> it is my joy to come to this text right now. And it actually reminds me of a time 18 years ago. 18 years ago was one, one, of the most arc, one of the most famous press conference rants of all time occurred. No, it wasn't a politically charged rant. No, it wasn't a discussion about religious freedom or educational reform or war that was uh, coming. It was in connection with the Philadelphia 76ers. Where are my Sixers fan at? Any Sixers fans? Okay, just want to make sure. They were experiencing during this time uh, uh, disappointing losses. Uh, there were trade rumors were flying around. They were underperforming. Uh, most of their all-star staff was in self-destructing mode. They were frustrated. No surprise to us Philly fans. There was frustration. And their franchise player, what was his nickname? The answer was being questioned about not taking certain aspects of his professional uh, duties as an athlete seriously. They were questioning him. And then the famous rant began in which one word was, was repeated 22 times in a three-minute period. How many people know what that word was? Say it out loud. Practice. Now, just, just to make sure, where are my people who don't care about sports at all? We love you too, okay? But we're talking about practice. Practice. It provided sound bites for decades. People were using it in songs and commercials all over the, the place. The word practice? We're talking about practice? But this cultural reference is highly misunderstood. People often don't listen to the entire interview when talking about this. They stop at the humorous way that Iverson said it. Practice? All this over practice? Thank you. I see some of the men talking to their ladies explaining what's going on here. People, they, they, we don't understand that Iverson, he was trying to defend his legacy as an athlete, arguably one of the most uh, uh, athletic, gifted basketball players ever, who ever touched the hardwood, pound for pound, best player, we love AI. But the reality was there was multiple problems happening within the Sixers organization. That wasn't the main issue, but all the focus was on Iverson's talk, his rant about practice. There were many problems that need to be addressed in the Philadelphia organization, but it was easier to put the attention to something else. And it's interesting because that's what is happening in this parable right now. The religious leaders during this time were, were they were trying to do that with Jesus. They wanted to question him. They wanted to question him to take the focus off what was the real deep-rooted issue. And the deep-rooted issue was they had a problem with Jesus. 
They didn't want that Messiah. They, it was a rejection of King Jesus. They, they wanted to challenge him in order to expose him, and then eventually in order to kill him. So we find ourselves, we're going to be in the Bible, so have your Bibles open, your, your tablet, your devices, um, right here in Matthew 21, verse 33. We're going to look at what Jesus is trying to communicate really about himself. Last week, Alex unpacked the reality that King Jesus has all authority and urges us to remember as citizens of Jesus' kingdom to embrace the authority of the king. Alex shared uh, in his, his talk last week, verses 28 through 30, through the parable of the two sons. And you'll notice throughout Jesus' life, when he shares parables, he often shares them in series of three. That was the first of the, of the series of three parables, where Jesus teaches the priests that they have claimed to accept the message from God, but they have failed to live up to it by being obedient to his authority. That if people are hesitant to come to Jesus and seek his mercy, if they don't feel worthy enough to come, that it's not the worthy, but the humble and the repentant that may come and find grace. Amen? Many of us in here, thieving tax collectors, desperate and sinful prostitutes, the scriptures talk about, may come if they come with a humble, repentant, and surrendered heart. Now, in today's parable, which is one of the most important parables, I would say King Jesus addresses the challenges and religious leaders again. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to highlight three problems and observe that, I, that we see in the text and then relate them to us as well. And then I'm going to present the answer. Okay? Three problems and then one answer. You all see what I did with that, my sports fans? What number is Allen Iverson? Number three, what do they call him? Oh, man. All right, stay awake with me, people. Three problems, one answer. I know some of y'all are like, I don't know what you're talking about. All right, you're going to stick with me. Here we go. Three problems, one answer. Look at verse 33. How does this start? It says, hear another parable. Here, King Jesus makes an allegorical feature which gives an overview of the religious leaders, the way that they saw Jesus. And Jesus is alluding to Isaiah, Isaiah 5, 1 through 7. And I encourage you to go back, write that right in your notes, Isaiah 5, 1 through 7. It's a great portion of Scripture. And, and this is where it's talking about uh, the vineyard, where the vineyard, the vineyard, the vineyard is Israel, and the landowner is God. So stay with me as we set up the, we set up the people involved in, in this parable. The vineyard is Israel, and the landowner is God. He, the landowner, had a right to expect that it would be a fruitful vineyard and yield much fruit. So a vineyard, a landowner, wanting fruit, that's the expectation. And who was involved with it? The tenants. Those are the vine growers to whom the landowner entrusted the vineyard to. That is representative of Israel's leader. But here's what's interesting. King Jesus is about, is, is basically talking about God and his people. As King Jesus retold the vineyard story, he made it clear that the religious leaders, the tenants, who had been called by God, God being the landowner, to watch over Israel, the vineyard. You see? You see the different players. But what happened? 
They had failed. They failed. And this is the first problem that I want to note with us. The wicked tenants rejected their responsibility as stewards. That's the first first problem that I noted in the text. The wicked tenants rejected their responsibility as stewards. The people had received the great privilege of being chosen by God, but they had failed to live out the responsibilities that accompanied that blessing. God sent, he really set them up for success. Look at verse 33. It says, the master planted a vineyard. He put a fence around it. He dug a wine press in it and he built a tower. So what was God doing? He was was looking for fruit from his people, especially from the religious leaders. But no fruit was found. As we read in the text, there was no fruit. What did God expect from Israel? Three things he expected from Israel. He expected Israel to honor God. Everybody say honor God. Everything that they had, he wanted them to honor him with all of what they had. He wanted to He wanted them to obey his law. Say, obey his law. Yes, he wanted, he wanted, he didn't even expect perfection per se, but not perfection, but obedience. Not perfection, but obedience. And then he wanted Israel to share with the rest of the world who was their God. Everybody say, share. So we have honor God, we have obey the law, and then we have share with others, being a testimony of God's love. God actually has that same expectation of us. We, the church, are the new kingdom of God. Jesus is saying, honor me, obey my laws, share with the rest of the world. As the owner of the vineyard, there are expectations, but, here's the key, but if you reject me, I will give these blessings to someone else. Look at verse 43. It says, therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruit. As a church, Risen Hope Church, we we thank you so much, visitors who are here with us. It's a joy to have you. Uh, We have a mission statement here. You may have seen it when you clicked on the website. Uh, I'm not going to quiz. Maybe I am going to quiz. Here we go. I'm a principal. I can do these type things. Uh, That's my day job. Mission statement. Our mission statement is what? Worshiping God and welcoming with gospel truth and neighbor. Excellent. We got about a B because I saw some of y'all looking at your neighbor. And for the past three weeks, we've been meeting as men at 730 in the morning on Sunday in order to gather because we want, there was a desire from the pastors and many men within our congregation saying we want to pursue this. We want to pursue this uh, mission statement to its fullest, but not just the mission statement, the Great Commission. Everybody say Great Commission. And then last week we recited the, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. And we said it three times for the men who were there, and it was such a powerful time of reading, uh, uh, reciting God's word together. And I actually I want to do this right now. Can I have all the men please stand? All the men please stand. If you're a member or not, I want you to stand. And we're going we're gonna to recite the Great Commission, Matthew 28. I should have us close our eyes because we should know it. Ladies, hold us accountable because we should know this verse. 
if, if, if your husband or a significant other or any man in the church, you can quiz them uh, starting next Sunday on this verse. All right, ladies, amen on that one? I can't hear you, ladies. Okay, here we go. Gentlemen, let's read this together. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all, baptizing them. And the Holy Spirit, teaching them. Wait one moment. We're going to do that again. We need to be more robust men. I asked where the bearded men are. Now, even if you don't have a beard, it's okay. I still need some robustness right now. So we're going to do that again and say it, say it with unction. Here we go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Yeah. Now I want the whole church to say it. Man, that was better. Now the whole church say it. Here we go. Third time. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all. Yeah, let's hear you. Teaching them to observe. Amen. 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 Have a seat, gentlemen. Yeah. That robustness. When the, when, when the men are saying, and then the women and the children joining, hold us accountable again, ladies, to knowing those sets of verses. And it's important because that is exactly what the believer's life should be, a part of the Great Commission. And my question is, I want to pause there for a moment, is how are you living out the responsibilities that come with being a chosen man or woman of God? How are you living out the Great Commission. The Great Commission. Put it up there one more time, please. How are you or who are you discipling? It says, go therefore and make disciples. Men, who are you discipling? Who are you pouring into? Who are you being poured into by? Older men, who, who, who are you? What, what man, what young man are you linking up next to you? We need to do that within our church. Older women, who are you linking up with? Who are you praying for? Who are you sending text messages about God's word? We need to be living out this verse, making disciples of all nations, of all people, keeping to this pursuit. Singles, who are you texting to stay pure, to stay in pursuit of the things of God? Children, how are you obeying this text? How are you too? If, if, you are, if you are a follower of Christ, how are you living this out? Yes, we should be baptizing people. That's a joy that we have here at the church. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded, and behold, I am with you to the ends of the age. Don't let the Great Commission just pass you by. It applies to you too. Think of the people for a moment who've discipled you. I had the privilege of being discipled by a first-generation Italian-American man by the name of Bruno Giamba. And I mentioned his ethnicity or ethnos in the text because the text actually mentions it. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, all ethnicities. Make disciples of all nations. We, we shouldn't be colorblind in who we disciple, but instead the value 
the, we should value the incredible cultures and languages and people groups, even in our immediate area of Upper Darby. We have the joy of reaching the nations, the joy of meet, reaching different ethnos. Now, listen, I'm not, I'm not highlighting culture for culture's sake, but it, it is a testimony when you see a cultural mosaic myriad of people gathering at like Tank and Libby's. Anybody been there at Drexel Hill? Uh, people gathering at Tank and Libby's and different ethnos and people talking about Jesus and encouraging one another. It's something special when you see a people get together after church and they go see a movie down a movie grill talking about justice and they, they sit together and afterwards they talk about the movie and you see all these different people of, of different nations coming together and then others on the side watching what we're doing. There's something special about that. It's something special when you see a, a group of people go down to 69th Street and share the gospel with all the nations as, as everything is happening at one time and you're following up with people and you're sharing Christ and you're praying with people. Something special happens at that time. When people go into the prisons and we're sharing Jesus with the incarcerated, something, there's something special about that. That's when the church is really living out the Great Commission, when we're doing those type things. And praise God, we're doing that here at Risen Hope, and we need to continue doing it here at Risen Hope. The question along with that is, how are you learning of Jesus, King Jesus? And as a result, how are you teaching his commandments? He's given us a great vineyard. Amen? And he, here's the beautiful thing, he put a fence around it and he dug, he dug a wine press in it and he built a tower. So let's produce fruit, people of God. Second Peter 1.3 says, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Now, I know, listen, I get it. I know it's very easy to make excuses, right, why we don't disciple, why we don't fulfill the Great Commission. I'm nervous. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I already feel overwhelmed with my own life, right? How many people feel like that? I feel overwhelmed in my own life. I'm busy. That's not my thing. But here's the beautiful thing. God is with you when you do it. God is with you. The Great Commission, God is with me. Despite what may seem big and insurmountable in front of you, your own insecurities, your own shortcomings, God is with you. And he's with you when? To the end. So the need to go is there. We need to go. Philippians 1.6 says, uh, I, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. God is with you. God is with you. That's something that you need to preach to yourself on a daily basis. God is with me. God is with you. So the first problem is the wicked tenants rejected their responsibility as tenants. Then there was a, there was a transition. Look at the text. The tenants seemed to be in a good place with the landowner until he came to do what? Get the fruit. He wanted his fruit. How did they go from seemingly loving their current situation, being blessed by God, then wanting nothing to do with the landowner, from getting hooked up by God and then dismissing anyone who was a representative of him? The second problem that I see, the second problem is the wicked tenants rejected God's warning. What they did is they took God's patience as indifference. 
Look at verse 34. It tells us that the landowner sent his servants to collect his portion of the harvest and how they, how they the, the servants, were cruelly rejected by the tenants. Verse 35, some were beaten, stoned, and killed. Verse 36, then he sent even more the second time, and they received the same treatment. The servants sent represented the prophets, Jesus is talking about, that God had sent to his people Israel. And then they were rejected and killed by the people who said they were of God. They were saying, oh, we're obedient to God, but they were the ones who were killing the prophets. Who were some of the prophets? Jeremiah was, was beaten in Jeremiah 26, 7 through 11. John the Baptist was killed in Matthew 14, 1 through 12. And others were stoned, 2 Chronicles 24, 21. Luke even said this. He said in Acts 7, 52, he said this. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. We can go down the list of the prophets that were stoned, that were beaten, that were killed. They were all saying the same message. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. And we shouldn't overlook the shocking display of patience and grace that is here on the part of the vine, uh, the vineyard owner, yet he keeps sending messengers to the tenants, and the tenants continue to mistreat those messengers. This is not, this is not the way people operate <laughs> in the world today. Uh, you would expect God to respond immediately, right? Like, oh, you're going you gonna to mess with one of mine? It was funny, I was reading this passage to uh, one of the girls, uh, one of my girls to, uh, today, and they said, I was reading this portion, and it was the, they sent this one, and they sent, and they sent, and they were killed in stone. And uh, I won't out her, but she said, oh, no, Daddy, God need to get them. God need to go after these people. Instead, God continued to warn his people of the consequences of their sin. He continued to send prophet after prophet after prophet, no matter how badly they were mistreated. Wow. A practice that uh, I've adopted in my house and actually at, at my school as well. I have the privilege of serving as a principal at a school in Philadelphia, the city school. Um, and we, we use a, a, a practice is when it comes to discipline, discipline called love and logic. How many people have heard of love and logic? Okay, love and logic. The idea that giving uh, kids a logical consequence while exercising love when they do something that breaks a rule. Loving logic. So a logical consequence would be this because you did this. However, the landowner here seems to not prescribe to that, that practice or that thinking. The question has to be asked, how many times does the landowner need to send servants who get mistreated and beaten and killed before realizing that something more drastic needs to take place? How many times does God need to send prophet after prophet to warn his people before he takes devastating or decisive action? Logic and reason, listen to this, logic and reason aren't the focus here. But the grace and patience of God is. It's not logical that drives, it's not logic that drives God. It's love. It's not logic, it's love. I love the way Martin Lloyd-Jones says it. He says, the ultimate test 
of our spirituality is the measure of our amazement at the grace of God. When you realize, when you recognize the grace of God that is on your life, that he extends to you, that should blow you away often. Evidences of God's grace, actively looking for them. Man, it's amazing that God would rescue me. I am not worthy. Thank you, Jesus. Now, the question needs to be asked, though. In what ways is God extending to you so much grace and being patient with you? Now, if you're not a Christian here today, I would encourage you, plead with you, implore with you to run to Jesus. Run to King Jesus. Come to Christ. He has been, he has been patient with you. You know he's been calling you. You know that he's been reaching out to you to say, obey me, obey his voice, obey his word, obey his way. He wants you to bow your knee to him and accept him as king. He's been patient with you, sending multiple people, certain circumstances that you know, man, that has to be from God. Certain messengers, certain warning points. He's been sending them to you so that he's trying to point you to himself. Stop waiting. Come to Christ today. You hear the news. You see the things that are happening on a daily basis. Come to Christ. Bow your knee to him. For the believer, what are those areas of your life where King Jesus has been patient with you? But you know that you've been beating and killing and stoning messengers, his word in your life. Uh, you don't want to live under his lordship. What are those areas where you're saying, no, God, I don't know. I, I want to do my own thing. Give up your ways. Surrender them to King Jesus. He's giving you time. Listen, give up that secret that you've been holding on to that no one knows about. Bring it to him. God isn't indifferent. He's gracious and he's patient. Don't stone the messengers that are bringing you the words of life. Don't stone them. Don't beat them. Don't kill them. The messenger who's, who's encouraging you to be obedient to Christ. Listen to that spouse, to that friend who's telling you to go to that person where there's brokenness in that relationship, but you don't want to go. Be obedient to King Jesus. Those areas of your life where he's saying, surrender them to me. I am your king. I am with you. Elizabeth, Elizabeth Elliot said it this way. She said, until the will and the affections are brought under the authority of Christ, we have not begun to understand, let alone accept his lordship. I love quoting women. I love the fact that we're intentional about quoting women in this church as well. So much wisdom in that, in that quote, our need to bow to the lordship of Christ. The first problem that we noted was the wicked tenants rejected their responsibility as stewards. The second problem was the wicked tenants rejected God's warning. They took God's patience as indifference. The third problem that I observe, and I'm, I'll be out of your way, is that they rejected God's son. Look at verse 37, 2137. It says this, finally he sent his son to them. 
saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. As we read and as you hear those verses, it seems extremely clear to us that King Jesus is talking about himself. Kind of an obvious parable, right? Israel's leaders, though, they didn't reject Jesus because it was not clear who he was, but they rejected him because they refused to submit to his authority. They heard what he said. They knew what he said. They knew that he reflected the scriptures, but they didn't want to bow their knee to King Jesus. Just as God's people had rejected the warnings that had come from love, so also they rejected the son who came in love. It's important to note here that, um, uh, that it's not because they did not believe in God. That's key. The wicked tenants see the son and they covet his inheritance. One would think they would see the son and change their previous actions, but they saw the son and they, they, wanted, to, they wanted to take over what he had. So what did they do? They threw him out of the vineyard and they killed him, uh, and which really displayed their hardness of heart. And we have the benefit of having the entire book of Matthew, right? So we can go through the whole thing. So we see that same week that Jesus uh, uttered this parable, the religious leaders would conspire to throw Jesus out of Jerusalem and crucify him. But it struck me. It struck me that these tenants, these religious leaders, believed in God. So how could they miss King Jesus? He's talking about himself. He is the king, and here's their opportunity to believe in him. But like the religious leaders, there are people who believe in God, but don't believe God. You can believe in God without believing God. And therefore, you will reject the Son of God. You see, even the devil believes in God, but he doesn't believe God. And as a result of rejecting the Son of God, you will experience the judgment of God. The parable shows the seriousness of the rejection of the Son of God. Look at verse 42. King Jesus describes himself as the stone the builders rejected, the chief cornerstone that will crush those who have not embraced Jesus as king. John 3.36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Sobering. And we see that the way that the religious leaders responded. Look at verse 45. Verse 45. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. They were more concerned about what the people thought than what Jesus thought. How is that so true of us often? We want to people please as opposed to believing the prophet, (laughs) the Lord Jesus, King Jesus. The great commentator uh, and preacher Matthew Henry wrote this. He said, when those who hear the reproofs of the word perceive that it speaks to them, if it do not do them good, 
it certainly do them hurt. Oh, does it? And the reality is, I once was a wicked tenant. I actively and purposely ignored the warnings of God. I thought, it was, I, thought I was a good person. I thought if I did good, if I, if I did religious things, then that would satisfy God. Oh, how I was wrong. Those things are filthy rags to God. He's not pleased by them at all. It's only embracing the Son, the true answer, and humbly trusting Him that we find salvation. Amen? The answer, simply put, three problems, one answer. The answer is King Jesus. He's the answer. Judgment comes on those who reject God's commands, God's warnings, and God's Son. But Jesus is the answer to salvation. Instead of being the cornerstone that crushes you in judgment, Jesus, the answer, becomes the cornerstone of our new life in him. The cornerstone of the new people of God to which we belong, in which we want all to belong, in answering the call that God puts out to you, come to me. I'm the answer. I'm exactly what you're looking for. Jesus is the answer. Repeat that after me. Jesus is the answer. He spoke of this scandalous grace and then also this ferocious judgment. In this parable here, we see King Jesus is pointing to himself as the answer. Let's go all the way back. Alan Iverson, I know, sports people, I know if you're not, stay with me. If you listen to Alan Iverson's entire press conference, you will notice he wasn't frustrated. Um, he was frustrated with the reporters, not because of practice. It wasn't about practice. That's what, the, that's what the, the blogs and everything exploded about him being practiced. He was actually mourning the death of one of his friends. One of his friends previously that week had been killed, and then he came to this press conference, and people were asking him questions about basketball. And for him, it was this reality of like, I'm looking at life. This is a life and death issue, and you all are talking about practice? I don't care about practice. Yes, he cared about practice, but in that moment, it, doesn't, it didn't matter. Think about those moments in your life where certain things just didn't matter. Who cares? I need hope. I need an answer. I need Jesus right now. That place of desperation. Kobe Bryant's family's family needs Jesus right now. It's so sobering when death hits, right? When death hits, things just boom, right in your face, bang. Last time I was preaching up here, my father was sitting right there in his wheelchair, my brother next to him. We call him old man. Old man was sitting right there. And old man is no longer here. However, Oh, man knows the answer. He is, he's accepted the chief cornerstone. He's able to see the chief cornerstone face to face. And all the things that I'm preaching about right now, he would say, son, it's real. It's real. There's many problems. But the answer is Jesus. The answer is Jesus. Oh, God. You remember 
who is sitting right over here. Another brother, Ron, would sit right here. Now, when he went before God and God asked him, why should you, the best, he he had the question asked to him, why should I let you into my heavens? He had the answer, Jesus. Beverly the same, when she entered into God's presence, she had the answer, which was Jesus. The individuals that we were just crying about and individuals that we know so deeply, they had the answer, and the answer was Jesus. All this other stuff doesn't matter. We see Jesus embracing the chief cornerstone, the one who embodies perfectly love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. They see that. They see that unveiled. We get to see that through God's word. He is the answer. Many of our loved ones, those who put their faith and trust in King Jesus, are enjoying him and enjoying him forever. And the question is, will you be able to answer that question with the answer, the real answer, Jesus? If that doesn't get you excited that you know, that you know, that you know, that you know, that Jesus is king, I don't know what else does. You have to know that you know that you know. So yes, we mourn. Yes, we mourn. Yes, we're sad. Woke up, took a nap this afternoon, woke up. My phone is buzzing about Kobe Bryant. And I'm sad. I pray that he knows the Lord Jesus. But I know that I know that I know that I know the Lord Jesus and he knows me. So don't mourn when I die. Rejoice knowing that I'm with Christ. And yes, it's sad. Now my wife in the back, you better mourn. You better come over the house. You better bring stuff. I know, I got you. But listen, the answer is Jesus. You need that fueled in your life this week because you're going to confront something and you have to say, Jesus. Jesus is the answer. I know I'm struggling. I know I'm frustrated, but Jesus is the answer. That's all. Very simple. Jesus is the answer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Oh, yes, many of us come to this space with many different emotions, many different feelings. Thank you that even in this text, you point to yourself. You tell us to look to you, not to reject you, because you will crush those who reject you. There will be judgment for those who don't trust you as their Savior, but for those who trust you. Oh, you are a chief cornerstone that we can put everything on, and it's not too heavy for you. So we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus. Thank you that Jesus is the answer. In Jesus' name, amen.